Lewis, your truck and your road to success in the trucking industry. This is Trucking Business and Beyond, the show that puts the money where it belongs, back in your pocket. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. The website is Let'sTruck.com. The show is all about the business of trucking, and today is the Power Hour. Guys from Pittsburgh Power will be joining me. We'll take your calls and answer your questions about engines, performance, fuel mileage, maintenance, upgrades, modifications, emissions, troubleshooting, electrical, you name it. We'll talk about it. All you have to do is pick up the phone and call. We're going to get to those calls in just a little bit. We'll bring in the guys from Pittsburgh Power. Right now we've got Bruce, or no, I'm sorry, we've got Ethan and John. I think Bruce is going to be joining us in a little bit. Welcome, guys. Hi, Kevin. Good to be here. Good to be here, Kevin. Yeah, great to have you back. So uh, what's new and exciting these days, John? We missed you last week. Yeah, sorry. I had a test to go do. It's uh, last-minute deal, but uh, it was kind of worth doing. Not a whole lot. I've been. Uh, we're working on uh, starting a rebuild program for VG turbos. Um, the Cummins hull sets, in particular, for the CM2250 and 2350, are are, are awful expensive. They uh, the reman turbo from Cummins is like five grand. If so, you don't need the actuator. If you don't need the actuator, <laughs> wow. yeah. So I've been making – I spent the whole morning trying to make a tool to put one back together that we took apart. I'm really close to having that done. So uh, they don't really – Cummins doesn't give you any info on how to do them. Uh, there are parts available online. We, we scooped up a kit uh, that we found on the interwebs, and uh, we're going over it and looked at it, and there were the pieces seemed to be pretty high quality, and so we're – we're venturing into that because uh, it's, it's a huge expense and, you know, they're not going to last forever. Uh, they've got moving parts in them now and things that get carboned up. And so we're going to try and uh, keep one or two of those on the shelf that we've rebuilt. <clears throat> but uh, that's been my project the last couple of days, been tinkering with that. Uh, some interesting, got some emissions testing. Uh, we're going to start this weekend in the shop or later this week and maybe into the weekend. Uh, keeping busy, learning stuff. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of interesting things happen. Uh, a little quick update on the Dorothy while I've got everybody's attention. If you've got one ordered, we are getting closer. I, I'm really uh, remiss in not getting kits completed yet, but I, I stay pretty busy on a bunch of stuff. We uh, had a little setback with the PACCAR program. We built a really cool intake manifold that integrated it into it and, and mounted it up all nicely, and the uh, computer didn't like the EGR flow. So I wouldn't say I'm back to the drawing board on that, but we're we're modifying it now to, to hopefully get to where we need to be, and that one will be available as soon as that's done. Uh, DD-15s will probably be the first ones out the door. I'm really close on that, but uh, that's what's going on with it. So anyone listening who's got one ordered, uh, we're, we're getting closer. Uh, I'll put some updates on the website soon. As soon as I have kits available, I'll put some photos up and let you know uh, which ones are done first. But uh, that's an update on that. Good. All right. That sounds good. Sounds like you've been busy. I sent you, uh, I want to go back and find it. I sent you an email earlier this week on that uh, testing. Remember that one? Yeah. Yeah, I actually, absolutely. The engine polygraph. That fellow had called me a while ago. Uh, I guess he listened to the show. He may be listening now if he is. Uh, hello. Um, we spoke quite a bit. I, I'm all for that. Uh, what, the, what they've done, it seems, has got some pretty extra sensitive sensors and some data logging equipment and 
Uh, they're just using an oscilloscope to look at it. They could probably do a little uh, better than that, but that's uh, it's still pretty cool. Uh, so they're looking really, really fine at pressures and pressure drops and things within the engine to analyze engine health. It seems to me that uh, seems feasible to me. Uh, it seems like something that uh, you know when you look at fine enough, you could see any leakage from a valve. You could pinpoint uh, you know uh, some blow by and things like that. And you could probably even see which cylinder it is if you uh, got carried away enough with the with the data and, you know, sampling rates could be high enough to do things like that. So, um, you know, it, it kind of comes from my world with the racing. We, we sample things like suspension movements at extremely high frequency. So I know that that's possible and yeah, I'm, I'm pretty impressed with it. Actually. I think that's uh, something that someone could add to their, you know, buying a new truck or something, have that engine angel report done on it. seems like something that would be a worthwhile, uh, worthwhile investment. Yeah, I was interested. I, I was looking back through here because I had several emails going back and forth on this. I thought I saw somewhere in here where the next thing they were going to test was an oil um, to check some, it, which would be really interesting to me because for years people have asked me, which oil's better? You know, you have premium oils, crazy expensive oils, standard oils. And I have said, and it's one of the reasons why I've never partnered with an oil company. I've had a lot that want to be a part of our show. And, you know, the great thing about them, they have tons and tons of money. Um, but I couldn't take anybody's money because I couldn't honestly come on the air and say, yes, this is the oil that I chose and here's why. And I, I could never say definitively <laughs> why one oil was better than another. So I, it, one of the things caught my attention was they were going to do some testing on an oil. And I thought that'd be really interesting if we could have some definitive answers about how different oils affect the engine. Uh, absolutely, yeah. It could, you know, you'll see uh, if it affects ring seal or not, which which oils can have an effect on there. There's definitely, uh, you know, the way they gas off. Uh, if their if their stuff is fussy enough, they might be able to see. You know, when the fresh oil goes in, you know, we, we you could all smell it. Anytime you change your oil, you know there's something coming out of it, right? Yeah. So, uh, you know, that might be something that uh, that you could actually see and put some some numbers to and, you know, get some ideas to how quickly the oil oxidizes or not. And Yeah, there's a lot you could do there. I don't know if you could do anything there to measure actual uh, drag, you know, if you could do efficiency or, you know, anything with that, uh, the way they're looking at pressures and such to, to see if you're actually, uh, you know, creating less friction. But uh, you might be able to do that with temperatures, though. I mean, there, there are other ways to look at that and, and quantify it as well. But, uh, yeah, I find that interesting. You know me. I love data, and that's, yeah. uh, that's yeah. all that is. That's a data collection system, and you zoom way in, and you see exactly what's going on inside the engine based upon, you know, intake pressure and exhaust pressure and crankcase pressure. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. I just didn't have time to dive into it, and I know you are a freak about data, so I sent it to you, uh, knowing <laughs> that you would know something about it and you would dig into it further, and I could ask you about it this week. So. Yeah, yeah. I've had a couple of really nice conversations with that fellow, too. He's, he's called me a few times. He call, actually called me yesterday right after that. He he didn't know my email address here, so he Googled me and found my uh, my racing stuff and sent it to one of my to my racing website email. And yeah, so he got to me that way. But then he didn't wait for me to call him, though. He called me, and I said, "Yeah, Kevin just uh, just forwarded this to me. I mean, I was gonna, I was going to give you a ring anyway." But uh, chatty fellow, he wants to come visit us, so I'd like to like to get him in. Good. Uh, Good. It maybe be something we could add to, add to our dyno services. It might be, uh, you know, we might be able to add that type of data logging to our to when we dyno. That'd be interesting. Because right now yeah. we look at blow by on a right now we look at blow by on a you know with a with a manometer, you know, a wet tube manometer. You just look at you watch watch it how far it pushes the water up the straw so we're not really uh 
looking that closely right now when we do this. So that's something I'd like to, uh, yeah, maybe we could, uh, something I could talk to him about and we could add to our services here. Good, good. That'd be awesome. I love data too. I hate, uh, I hate guessing at things or, you know, well, and, and we do the best we can sometimes with just long-term experience, but the, the oil thing has always been, you know, I, I kind of just kept coming back to Rotella for a lot of reasons. And you added one that, that I wasn't even really uh, focusing on, but I, I, I've been through, I, I even had a business partner, um, that was the sole distributor for Royal Purple Oil. And when I looked at all the, you know, I got to go down to the plant and I spent a lot of time around it, and I loved this stuff. I used it in all my trucks. I, um, you know, I had a lot of other people using it. It worked great, great results, but there was nothing I could point to and say, here's why it's better. You know, we got great extended drains out of it. We, You know, the base held up well. All the things you could kind of measure. But it was, you know, I could also say that about Rotella. And Rotella was certainly a whole lot cheaper. So I've never been able to just say, this is absolutely better and here's why. Uh, yeah, I agree. That's, uh, I, I guess I've pushed things a lot harder than you. So the particular oil you just spoke of there happens to be the only oil we ever blew up Mazda rotaries with. So, uh, and you can't blow up a Mazda rotary, believe it or not. It takes about 13,000 RPM to do it, but they, but they do break, uh, which really only happens on a mechanical over-rev, meaning an, an errant downshift. Uh, drivers are rambunctious on a downshift and, or, or move the shifter the wrong direction or something like that. So, uh, about the only thing that will blow a rotary up is a mechanical overrev, and our Mazda rotaries that we raced with Rotella 540 in them, that, that was the only oil ever used in racing, to be honest with you. I, I steered away from all the racing oils. Never blew one up. Wow. Yeah. And then we got this We got this deal. Pallets of oil showed up at the shop for free. I'm like, yeah, let's run this stuff. <laughs> it happened to be purple. Yeah. And <laughs> we uh, we blew up uh, two engines. <laughs> Wow, crazy! <laughs> so, in a, yeah, in a situ- in a situation I know I'd been in before with the Rotella, and I blame it on the zinc. It's uh, that's the last line of defense, and whenever everything's gone wrong, the zinc's what's helping you out, and there just wasn't enough zinc in it, to my liking anyway. And that's that's what uh, you know. I hang on, hang on that. I could be wrong, but uh, that's uh, experience has told me that as much zinc as possible is best. You know, I, so, I, I, but yeah, we are building a relationship here with uh, with DA Loops. Uh, that, that was a little blurb on Twitter and Facebook yesterday. They uh, they're an Indiana company. They're they're American owned and they use Pennsylvania crude uh, for all their oils. Smaller company, and you know they're they're active in motorsport and they make some pretty good products. Uh, so our shop oil is now the, the DA Loop fifteen forty, which has got the same zinc numbers as the. Uh, and base numbers is Rotella. Actually, the base is a touch higher. Ah, that's, uh, that's, what that's what we're running here at the shop now. Good so. deal. All right, I've got to get to a break. We're going to come back. We're going to get to your calls and questions. Stick around. We'll be right back. I'm Kevin Rutherford.
Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. This is the Power Hour. I've got Ethan and John here with me. We're talking about some oil and some new testing we're looking at, interested in. Um, John, just to give you the, the history on the, the Royal Purple, when I the, the very first truck that I put a bypass filter on from, I actually had it installed at the factory. Uh, it was a 95 uh, Series 60 in a Ford um, over-the-road tractor. And I put the bypass filter on, you know, the, the whole thing about don't change your oil until the sample tells you to change it. And I thought that was kind of crazy. You know, almost everybody does when they hear that. That You know, back in the 90s, we were changing oil on trucks at 10,000 miles was the standard back then. Mm-hmm. So I put this oil in and started sampling at 10,000 miles when I would have changed. And the sample kept coming back good. I got to like 200,000 miles and just couldn't take it anymore. I thought, I got to change the oil. (laughs) You know, I just, as much as I want to trust this, I'm going to change the oil. So I did. Um, That truck, I I had it day one with the bypass filter on it, with royal purple in it. I took that truck to 1.3 million miles, and I did four oil changes. The first one wasn't necessary. I just did it because... I just couldn't take it anymore. Um, The next one was a mistake. My shop had a new mechanic (laughs) on the truck, and he didn't know he wasn't supposed to change the oil. Um, The third one, I think I had an injector start streaming, and I got some fuel dilution, so we changed that one. And I don't even remember why I changed the fourth one. Probably, you know, some sort of contaminant got in. I, I was just blown away. You know, it, it 1.3 million miles on four oil changes was just incredible to me. So I kind of attributed it to both the filter and the oil. And, and that's why I kind of stuck with that oil for a long time. And then as I learned more and more about oil, I thought, you know, it, it really isn't that special. Um, it's a good oil, uh, but you're right. Now that and you helped me learn more about zinc, I always knew about zinc from the fact that if we ever got coolant in the oil, the coolant would strip the zinc quickly, and then you would start to see wear metals and, and other problems. So, uh, And then from you, I found out that the Rotella was, was high in zinc, and you guys used it in racing. You know, sometimes we look at it because it's so common, and it's cheap, and it's everywhere, and think, well, it must not be that great. But it really is a good oil. It's, it's amazing, yeah. Yep. Yeah, Shell, Shell makes some pretty good products. Yeah, so I guess if I were ever going to partner with an oil, it might just be Rotella. They do have lots of money. <laughs> <laughs> they do, yeah. Yep, yeah. Leave it to me. I partner with a little company without any. So. <laughs> <laughs> I, I tend to do that, too. So, all right. What do you say we uh, get to some phone calls? Hey, w- oh, go ahead. Real quick before you do that, I was I was listening to your show on Sunday, Um and a fella called in. He had, it was an expediter. His engine had been replaced at a dealership some years ago, and he was concerned because the engine showed up as a 2008, even though it was a mechanical old mechanical Cummins. Is that a rebroadcast, or is that something that was current? That you know, it's funny you and bring that up because about ELDs. Yeah, funny you bring that up because I was just thinking about that, and I was trying to scroll back through my notes because I was going to bring it up, and I couldn't find my notes quick enough. Uh, that was a live call. I actually told – I think I told him to, to try to call in today. Okay. That shouldn't – he must have got a number off of the block. He's probably got like a production date of the engine block, which should have nothing to do with the engine serial number. 
whoever did that engine should have kept his old tag, I think. And it, that even and even if it's a newer number, the engine family uh, should preclude it from any any hassle about uh, about ELDs. I mean, just the fact that the you know they they put a new long block or short block in there should not uh, do that. Then they never changed the uh, you know the family of the engine. That would have been a huge conversion to put a 2008 engine into that truck. It would have been next to impossible. So you know, so I think whatever he's looking at, he must be looking at a production date on the engine block or something. But it should not. Uh, lead anyone to believe that that truck should uh, should have to use an ELD. If it's a mechanical, it doesn't even have an ECM. There's not even ECM on I know, yeah, so it's quite obvious there, but, you know. Well, I think. If, just just that they should really not have any any issues there. Yeah, if I, if I remember right, when I was talking to him, I kept saying that. I kept saying, look, if it's mechanical, that's clearly obvious. All we have to do is look at the engine. But I kept saying, I, I don't know how right. a, they could have built a 2008 as a mechanical engine. Uh, but, you know, if, if for some reason you've got documentation and it claims this is a, a 2008 engine, you're going to have a problem. You, you need to find documentation that, that clearly shows, you know, the, the, what year this engine is built as. And, and I thought the same thing that, right. you know, he's getting some date just off the block that had nothing to do with the engine itself. Yeah, that's a, even if you look at the serial number, should also uh, lead to the uh, the family. So the engine family is what uh, what determines you know more more than anything, more than serial number even, uh, what it is. So the the EPA family should be way way before any you know any ELD thing. Yeah. So at least, what was it? A ninety four truck, wasn't it? Ninety four, yeah. ninety five, something yeah, so like that. Yeah. yeah, I really, I don't think he's got anything to worry about. So, yeah, in my opinion. Good. Good. I There might have been one other call over the weekend that um, maybe that was the one I'm thinking of. I know I told somebody to call on Tuesday just so you guys could clear it up for sure. I think there was another one, though. Maybe as we go through the calls, I'll remember it. Let's uh, let's get to the calls. Let's go to Florida. Art, welcome to the program. Good afternoon, gentlemen. How are you doing today? Good. What's on your mind? I've talked to you guys a couple different times, sir. I, I have the Kenworth from hell. But anyways, uh, John was supposed to get me, let me know when uh, I can bring my tractor up and get the uh, Dorothy put on. But one of the reasons why I'm calling today is I was listening to the radio today uh, on Dave Nemo's show, and they had something about winter blends or winter additives. Which do you guys recommend? Because I always <coughs> use power service, and I, don't, and I know Bruce said something about how's. But what was the best for the money, would you say? What, um, what, what your opinion? What's the coldest temperature you run in normally? I usually run from Florida to upstate New York and then up around there over to, to Oklahoma and stuff around that way. Yeah. I would say probably the south, southeast and west around there. You know, what, what you're going to find, and I'll tell you, you know, in, in all the years I've been in this, Either the fuel quality has actually gotten a little better for winter. I think it probably has. And the engines do a whole lot better. You, Especially if you're running in the south, you can run all winter with no additives. I, I've just never seen any real need for them. And, you know, my number was kind of if I knew I was going to be below zero, I might drop something in. Especially if you bought your fuel in Florida because there's actually zones for right. the fuel and the farther north you go the more they tend to create winter blend fuels 
And in the South, they don't do it so much. So if you bought your fuel in Florida and you're going to end up way up north and it's going to be really cold, you might dump something in. I, I don't really have a preference. I, it's kind of like the oil. I couldn't tell really that one was any yeah. better than another. Um, John, any thoughts on that? I don't really have much of an opinion either. I know Bruce is really fond, you know, for lubricity anyway. The Lucas uh, seems to seems to help things out, but I don't know what that would do for you in the winter time. Uh, I have no issues. I, I mean, I drive a Cummins Dodge year round and put nothing in it, and it gets really cold up here, and it doesn't bother it a bit. But uh, yeah. I do have luck with the. Uh, we don't sell it or have anything to do with it, but that old Dodge of mine's got a uh, injector that gets a little funny once in a while, and I put a little power service in it, and it fixes it. Yes. And other things yeah. I've put in it. <clears throat> Don't touch. Don't do a thing to it. It makes no difference at all. Yeah. So you know, I, again, you know, just just based upon uh, things that have worked for me personally, yeah, I've got no problem with the power service product. Um, don't get it on your fingers though, man. That stuff is <laughs> terrible. You, you pour it on your fingers and yeah. immediately taste it in your mouth. So there's something really, really uh, aromatic in there. So it scares me anytime I get it on myself. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you very much, then, and I'm uh, uh, you're looking welcome. forward to your phone call for. Uh, yeah, we're, we're as I said earlier, a little announcement I made earlier, we're very close. And yes, yours yep. is Kenworth with a Cummins in it, right? So uh, if you yeah. don't mind coming no, by I here, Ken- I mean. The- no, I have a oh, pack car. Oh, you have a pack car. Yeah, hang car. tight then. Yeah, yeah. I, that yeah. that didn't go so well last week. So, yeah, I'm, uh, that's good. Yeah, can you yeah, watch, watch, watch the website? Time, so. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, so watch watch the website and, uh, and listen to the show here. I'll let everybody know whenever I've got that ready to go. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I gotta have Ethan do a super tune on it too. So, all right. There. Great. There you okay, go. Thank you, gentlemen. Have yep. a great day. All right. You're welcome. Look hey, forward to seeing you. Hey, John. He just reminded me of something stranger yep. coming up on a break. Anyway, there was an industrial solvent. Was it MEK or there was some industrial solvent mm-hmm. that methylated ketone? Yeah, MEK. Yeah. I think yep. it was MEK that it was like a. People were using it. This was back when I was doing a lot of bodybuilding. I owned the gym, and I had wrestled a lot. And I had a friend of mine that was – his dad was just a crazy – one of those guys that pushed his kids really hard. And when he would get, like, joint pain, I think they were using MEK. It would absorb right through your skin. And they were using it as some sort of a painkiller. It was crazy. When you said you could taste it. But what happened one time, they had used rubbing alcohol for something, and then the M.E.K., and he got trashed. Took the alcohol right through his skin. He almost got alcohol poisoning. (laughs) Crazy stuff. All right, we're going to get to a break. We're going to come right back. Stick around. I'm Kevin Rutherford.
Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. This is the Power Hour. We're going to get right back to the calls. Ethan and John are with me. John, I did look it up. It was MEK. There's all kinds of articles about using it for, you know, pain and inflammation. Doesn't sound like a good idea to me, though. That's what that's what reacts with the fiberglass resin to as uh, a hardener is MEK. That's is it really? Is the, that's Oof. the clear liquid that you drip into fiberglass resin. Is, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Not something I want to be uh, ingesting because I, I guess it no. absorbs right through your so, skin. My my grandfather used to rub WD forty on his knees and swear it worked. So wow, <laughs> keeps them lubricated, right? That seems that seems less 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 poisonous. It than, does uh, seem, you know, than than yeah, than MEK. But, yeah, yeah, I remember we used a ton of MEK in the army, and you know, it had a million labels all over it: skulls and crossbones, and all kinds of warnings, and you know, don't use without ventilators and gloves, and and you know, and then people started rubbing it on their body. Right. Bad idea. That, ah. that's a bad idea yeah yeah yep. yeah all right let's get so you to... know more oh, you know more ahead. about the health and the physiology thing than i whenever you do get something on your fingers like that and immediately taste it in your mouth it's obviously gone through your system right absolutely in your head oh no no there are lots of substances we you know look at um pain patches nicotine patches that's the whole that's the right. the mechanism there are lots of substances and many times what they do They'll take the the substance we want, like the opioid or the nicotine. It doesn't necessarily get absorbed right through the skin. They'll put a carrier, at, like MEK. That's probably not the one they use, but they'll put a carrier in there right, that, right. that does make it absorb through the skin. So that's a, a fairly common way of of getting substances into our body is through the skin. So there there are compounds that, yeah, if you touch it, that's exactly what's going to happen. And that taste thing is really common. I, I don't know the exact pathway or why that happens, but a lot of times when a substance gets absorbed through your skin, you almost immediately taste it. Absolutely, yep. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm sensitive to some. Uh, another one does it to me is brake fluid. I get brake fluid on my fingers. I immediately, my tongue, I, I taste it immediately. Yeah. It's, there, it's bizarre. There, There's something in there that is one of those carrier compounds that goes right through. And it takes everything else with it. That's, you know, why it's kind of yeah. crazy is anything else that's in that substance can get carried into the body with it. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Be careful with that stuff. That's right. Yeah, if you taste <laughs> something because you touched it, I'd start wearing gloves. <laughs> yep. Yeah. All right, let's head off to... Good advice from Kevin. Yeah, there you go. Let's head off to Wisconsin. Scott, welcome to the program. Hey, guys. How are you today? Good. What's on your mind? Good. Hey, Kevin, I just wanted to call and say thank you. I was in Kansas City a couple weeks ago, so I called Chad down there at the alignment shop to have my truck checked because I've got a 99 379 that I've never done anything to the, to the alignment, and I put 700,000 miles on it. I bought the truck with 1.2 on it. I just wanted to get it checked, and so we rolled it in the shop. Chad showed me how to check the feathering on tires and stuff and everything, and he told me to get out of the shop. There was nothing he could do to my truck. He said, look, good. don't take it to anybody else. They'll just screw it up. He said, when trucks look at it, look, he said, the trucks scream at me, don't touch me because there's nothing wrong with me. He said, I don't touch them. 
Chad, he's an awesome guy. Chad is the wizard, and, and he was trained by the best, Mike Beckett, you know, a long time ago, and he, he's certainly grown into his own. And um, John, you and I have talked about this that that whole system, and um, Chad is just amazing. I, my coach, uh, the country coach, when I first got it, I put a brand new set of Michelin XEA twos on the front, and they're like a six hundred dollar tire. Seventy? No, wasn't it? It was. 45,000 miles, and one of them was almost trashed. And I, you know, went back to Country Coach, and I said, look, you got to align this thing. And they said, you know, we, we really don't align them. Um, it's kind of a weird suspension system, and we can try a couple things. But we get this a lot. And it's not a big complaint in the RV world because a lot of people buy these coaches and only put 10,000 miles a year on them or less. So by the time they get tire wear, they feel like they've had the tires for four or five years anyway, and it's not a big deal. So I went to Chad, and I said, Chad, look at this thing. Is there any way to align this? And he looked at it, and he said, yeah. He said, I've seen this once before. He, he said, let me work on it. And when we were at the CMC, um, he spent a couple hours on it for me, figured it all out. That thing goes so straight down the road, and I've got probably 50,000 more miles on it. The tires look like new. Yeah, he was good. He, he spent, an, spent about an hour on my truck, checked the front end, checked the wheel bearings in the back, and he said, I can't find anything wrong with it. There's nothing. I said, well, I just wanted to get a check because I've never had a check. Charged me 75 bucks and said, I'm not touching it. There's nothing wrong with it. Perfect. So if I would have went somewhere else, you know what they would have done to my truck and how much problem I would have had later on. Oh, no, I'll, I, I, so can I just t- want to call and say thanks. I can tell you exactly what about 95% of the alignment shops would have done. They put it on the computer because that's all they're ever taught how to do. They don't measure things themselves. They put it on the computer, which could be way out of calibration. There's all kinds of other problems it can have. And if the computer tells them something needs to be adjusted, no matter what they're seeing with their own eyes, they adjust it. And most of the time, they end up making it worse. It's really, it's one of those industries in trucking that needs a complete overhaul. It is amazing how many bad alignments you can get. Well, I just had to call you and tell you that, you know, he showed me where to check the feathering in in my front tires, and I got... 90,000 miles of my front tires, and he said, look at them. He said, they're, they're glass smooth. He said, there's nothing wrong with you just leave alone. Perfect. Now, I wish I had so that kind I of... I also had oil. Yeah, I was going to say, I wish I had that kind of good news on your oil sample, but it looks like my grandkids got a hold of your oil sample with a box of crayons. Uh-huh. Yeah, <laughs> what can we do about that silly? Um... John, help me out with this one. Uh, I'll, I'll give you some history. What is it? What, uh, what engine is it? It is a, an N14. It's an N14. N14, okay. So I'll give you some history going How back to... How many miles to, are on it? Oh, good. Uh, 581. Is that on an in-frame? Okay. 581. No, that's on a reman. Reman, okay. okay. And 22,000 on the current oil sample, is that correct? That is correct. Okay, so, John, let me give you some history. Go, we're at 581 now, going back to 398,000. A sample came up with 6.2% soot. That's really high. Whoa. The next sample, um, 
came up at three. What what went on back then that it dropped from six point two to three? Do you remember? Well, we only we only had fourteen thousand miles on that oil sample though. Okay, too. all right. One went three. Yeah. And anytime I get over that, then it starts building. Yeah. So, and that's kind of an unusual pat. But even three is really high, especially with only fourteen thousand miles on the oil. Then we go to 26,000 miles on the oil. We're at 3.6. Then when we got to 53,000 miles on the oil, John, we're at 7.2. That is off the charts. And the viscosity at that time, John, 30. That's like tar. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. Go up. yeah. Yeah. So it's now like yeah. with yeah. the with well, the seven seven percent soot, that's a lot. <laughs> that is a lot. That in ten gallons. I, you think about that. Yeah, yeah. Or, or eleven gallons, whatever that. Eleven holds. gallons. That yeah, that's uh, a crazy amount of soot. So now with twenty two thousand miles on another sample, we're at six point four, and viscosity is at twenty. Something is really wrong with this thing. Does it make a lot of blow-by? How much blow-by have you got? Any issues there? Uh, well, no, not too much. And what I did there is build in 14. You know how they got the one tube coming off the top of the motor? and they Yeah, you've got two. And so, I, yeah, I went and got another one out of the junkyard and put another one on, so I got two. Okay. And, and they, uh, you don't and see they, a whole lot of – you don't you don't see no, a, don't, a whole lot of vapor coming out of there? Just a little bit. If you put your hand on it, you can feel it just a little bit, you know. Not a lot. Okay. Um, I, okay. I did change the air to air about 30,000 miles ago, 35,000 miles ago. I found that my air to air was leaking, so I put a new air to air on. I put all new rubber boots connecting the air to air. I found a hole. I put new motor mounts on the truck and the bottom of the air cleaner crossover tube touched the top of the motor and caused me a hole in there. So I got that fixed, and I had overhead ran. Okay, hold that and thought. I don't hold that thought. This could be a mystery, but we may have to get our hands on this one to check some things. But we're going to talk about it more right after this break. Stick around. I'm Kevin Rutherford, this is the Power Hour. We'll be right back. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. This is the Power Hour. John and Ethan are with me, and we are talking to Scott in Wisconsin. So, uh, John, any other thoughts? 
we uh, Ethan and I were discussing this a little bit. Uh, does he does it make any black smoke? I mean, does the engine is, does it run nice and clean? Are you getting decent fuel mileage? You know what? I think we just lost him. I the call just disappeared off the board. Um, yeah, I'm trying to look at. No, we lost him completely. It just disappeared off the board. Okay. Did did he address um, uh, exhaust restriction at all? No, he didn't. That's what our, our thought was. You know, the only things that could be are piston rings, obviously. Uh, you guys all tell me if the overhead's out, it could cause soda. I, I haven't got my head around how that happens yet. Uh, if the valves go loose, they only open for a little less time. I don't know how that creates more soot uh, in the oil. Or if they're tight, I could maybe see something then because you end up with some more overlap. You'll blow some exhaust back in uh, during overlap. But that's, yeah, that that's suddenly going to act kind of like EGR. So, yeah, I don't know uh, about that, but valve guides, valve warned valve guides or valve guide seals that are bad or, or missing uh, would definitely do it. Now, what else do you think? Excessive back pressure. Yeah. Piston sure rings. Or if the engine's just plain running dirty, if he's got a problem, you know, if it's, uh, you know, making some black smoke, if it's just generally creating more soot, obviously that's going to end up uh, making that number go up. Oops. So I, yeah, I don't. I'd like to talk to him some more if we get him back. I so. think Bridget just got him back. Let me go down and see if I can. Okay. Fi- yep, there he is, right there. Scott, we got you back. Go ahead. Thanks. And uh, as far as the exhaust restriction, I got eight-inch straight pipes. It does have flow-through mufflers in the center spools in my straight pipe, but I mean, you could right. throw a softball to the center of it. Yeah, that's 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 definitely not it. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that's that's definitely not the exhaust or restriction. Uh, you've got which turbos on it? Do you know? It's got just the factory turbo. Factory turbo. I okay. mean, I could yeah, it puts up the five quarter. Um, I've got a Pittsburgh power box in here, and on zero with everything shut off on a hard pull, I can get thirty five, thirty four, thirty five pounds of boost out of it. Factory. Oh wow, that's strong. And hmm. I don't know any thoughts, Ethan. I'd want to make sure that the the right ECM program's in it for the CPL. Just okay. In case someone put the wrong one in there. Uh oh, we lost him again. He's obviously in a bad. We lose him again. Okay. Yeah, we lost him again. Um, you know, Ethan, I, I'm almost thinking that after everything we've heard, you're probably on the right track there. I, I can't imagine what else could cause this thing to create that level of soot. That may be the highest I've ever seen. It, it might be worth taking a look at the uh, ECM sensor values, too, to make sure one's not reading at an extreme but still within uh, range. So, like, if the coolant temp, you know, the ECM thinks the coolant temp's always at, like, 68 degrees, even though it's not, it could be overfueling, attempting to, uh, thinking it's in cold mode, cold warm-up. It, this sounds more like it must be something electrical. I mean, anything mechanical, it, it seems like it's already been addressed and would just jump right out at you. So, I I think that uh, if you hooked up to this, you might be able to find this problem. Let's head off to West Virginia. Gus, welcome to the program. Hey, guys. I got a battery question. I just wanted to know what a typical draw and amp 
your starter pulls off of it because I just installed a disconnect and I'm not sure if maybe I installed a big enough disconnect or not because now my truck starts, but it just seems like the starter is working a little harder now to start the truck than before I had to disconnect. Hmm. Any thoughts? I got a, I put in a, a, a recommended disconnect from one of my truck suppliers, 70 amp with a 20 amp continuous. So I was just that's wondering, does my starter draw more than 70 amps to start the truck? And maybe that's why, maybe it's just the disconnect is too small or... I'd say 20 amps continuous sounds a little light to me. I, I that could be wrong. Okay, yeah, I never actually sure. looked. I'm just, going by, just going by the recommendations from the the guy who sold me the disconnect over the counter. That's all. Right, right. Yeah, if there's a, a bigger one available, you might try that. If it's fairly inexpensive, um, you might just want to try it or bypass it quickly and see if uh, it cranks quicker. That's yeah. what I would think. Just bypass oh, yeah, it with just, a bolt. Yeah, just put both uh, or put them both with both. Uh, both eyes on the same post of the disconnect. You basically bypass it that way, uh, and you do a back-to-back on it and see. But 20 so amps continuous sounds a little low to me. Okay, and as far as the the, the top end, the, the 70 amp max truck, because I, I had a choice of three or four different disconnects, and I did cheap out with a the cheaper one, which was like $80. The other ones were in the hundreds, so I wasn't sure what the typical draw was on a standard starter. I don't know. I wasn't sure if you guys had that answer or not. I personally don't know. I don't know. Ethan might have a better okay. idea what one of those starters will draw, but yeah. No, I, my multimeter doesn't go that high. They only do about <laughs> 10 amps, and then it blows the fuse. And... Right. So you can't tell with the multimeter. I'm I'm thinking it's more than 20. 20 amps just does not sound like enough to crank a crank an engine around to me. It really doesn't. Okay. And I had a quick uh, oil comment. I've been using the Rotella T3 for the last seven years and I switched to the T4 when it came out uh, and I'm just noticing my oil consumption is all, over, is all over the map now. Would that is that just coincidence or would there be a difference between the T3 and the, the T4 with their new their new uh, formulation? Well, the, the T4 is a semi-synthetic so if, if it's an engine that's got some wear there, there is a chance you will consume a little more with it. Uh, I personally haven't seen that but uh, that, that's uh, what we hear around here. Um, I'm not sure, Kevin. What's your what's your opinion on that? And it's only a semi; it's not a full synthetic, so it's not that crazy slick. So yeah, I don't know what uh, Kevin. What's your experience with the semi synthetics? You know, I I haven't I I like one or the other. I, I I haven't really been a big fan of the blend. It's almost like a compromise, and I don't see enough of of either characteristic that we're looking for. So. You know, if we've got old worn-out engines, we just go back to the the straight mineral oil. And when we have a good, healthy engine, I prefer synthetic. The middle ground to me seems just like a compromise that doesn't seem to serve either purpose very well. Um, Now, the one thing I will say is oil today right now is a brand new world. I mean, we're seeing it in oil samples. I've talked about the base numbers. They this is probably the most drastic change in oil I've seen in the 30 years I've been following the APIs. Well, that's what I was getting at because they're phasing out the T3 with the new T4 because of the new classifications of the oils and that's why basically I was just wondering because I can't get T3 or it's really hard to get the T3 Rotella anymore. And now, oh, really? Yeah, they switched it over to the T4 because of those new, the J, I, don't, I can't remember the names, the J, the J or the K, where they phase, they're phasing out the older classifications, the newer ones, but they're making it 
and then they've even got a newer classification for the newer engines only and the one for my engine it's backwards compatible so it can be used on older engines the t4 which is kind of why i was kind of questioning my oil consumption because of the rotella t3 to the t4 because of the new classification of oils the new the new blend right. not a blend but a new the new K or J letter that they just came out with. So, okay, well, I appreciate it. Yeah, and, and it's more confusing than that because now for the first time ever, we have two classifications. It's always been one, and they've always been backwards compatible. Now we have one that is backwards compatible and one that isn't, one that's strictly for the new engines. I think that's the CK4. And then we have the backwards compatible that works in any engine. But both of those new APIs are extremely different from the oils we used to run. So I don't even have definitive answers on anything yet. We're kind of feeling our way through this. I think they're great oils, but they're definitely acting different. Let's see. Um, we'll try to get to this one real quick here. Let's go to Michigan. Damon, you got about a minute and a half. A minute and a half, that's good. Uh, hi, uh, Kevin Rutherford. How you doing? Good. What can we help you with today? Hello? Okay, yeah, you can hear me? Yeah, okay. Yeah. Uh, I got a 2008 Peterbilt with a diesel particulate filter, and I keep hearing contradictory things. Uh, some people tell me if I take the DPF system off, I won't have any issues. Well, Caterpillar told me if I take the DPF system off, it's a good chance that the motor will blow because it'll have uncontrolled horsepower or something like that. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a good one. Uncontrolled horsepower. Wow. Don't let that get out because everybody will be taking uh, them off. <laughs> <laughs> Well, if you take it off, you're going to have other problems. It's not going to be uncontrolled horsepower. Correct. It's going to yeah. be uncontrolled check engine lights and other issues, depending on who does the, the work on the software. And it'll be uh, an inability to have it worked on at just about any shop that you wander into in the country. So that'll, that'll be a problem, too. So it's a really not the way to go. Uh, if you're having issues, I mean, we could probably help you out. Yeah. I, uh, I, you know, with the, with the DPF maintenance and give the system a going over and make sure everything's working the way it should be. I, uh, but yeah, other than that, yeah, you're you're you're, you're not going to have you're not going to have uncontrolled horsepower issues. Trust me. Yeah, yeah, and and it's it's not going to blow up, but that you still shouldn't be doing it. We we went through the delete phase back when we didn't know any other way around some of these problems. That's over. We're not recommending deleting anything anymore. Um, we know how to get these things running right. I say we. I'm talking about you guys at Pittsburgh Power. So don't be <laughs> deleting anything. Um, get it over to them. Get it running right. You'll be happy. All right. We've got to wrap up this show. We're going to get to another one. Stick around. I'm Kevin Rutherford. Your money, your taxes, your truck, and your road to success in the trucking industry. This is Trucking Business and Beyond, the show that puts the money where it belongs, back in your pocket. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. The website is letstruck.com. The show is all about the business of trucking. Today is the Power Hour. I've got Ethan and John with me from Pittsburgh Power. 
We're going to take your calls and answer your questions about everything maintenance, engines, performance, fuel mileage, horsepower, torque, upgrades, modifications, emissions, electrical, you name it. We'll talk about it. All you have to do is pick up the phone and call. Ethan and John, welcome back, guys. Good to be back. Good to be back, Kevin. All right. Hey, hey, John, we, we had a call at, at the end of the last show. Um, kind of a mixed message. Cat told him if you took off the DPF, you'd blow up the engine because it had uncontrolled horsepower. It's amazing what's what some that, people. That's a good one. I, yeah. <laughs> like I said, if they start letting, I hope it was like the, I hope it was like the uh, the wash boy at that cat dealership or someone who uh, was ex- yeah. between the floors. Anybody <laughs> who's supposed to know anything? <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, and we certainly don't want that rumor getting out. You'll have people under there with hacksaws cutting everything off so they can get unlimited horsepower <laughs> uh, but but why don't why don't you address that and you know there was a time that you know when we first started seeing all the emissions problems and we tried everything we couldn't keep these things running right we couldn't get any fuel economy out of them and there was that that move to just delete it get rid of it you know these guys are going broke we have to do something for them and, and we're well past that now why don't you address that? Well, we're gaining an understanding of how these systems work. You know, and understandably, everybody was just angry about it. I think the manufacturers were probably angry about having to put them on the trucks. So, so the whole thing came to be with the wrong attitude. Uh, but fact of the matter, now here in 2017, the stuff works, and you know, at least our shop, and we're always learning. I mean, it's uh, we're really trying to to carve a niche there uh, in the our ability to to maintain and surface that stuff, and. You know, I'd be a fool to tell you that we could fix every problem you have or that, you know, you're going to leave and it's never going to get a check engine light again. But, you know, we'll reduce those, and sometimes you've got to come back once or twice before we get it sorted out. They are uh, complicated systems, you know, in in their, shall we say, you know, mechanics and electronics. But the way it works is quite simple, and once you understand how it works, it's really not that, that big of a deal. So, you know, to me, it's, uh, you know, maintain it and, you know, make sure the sensors that are t- telling it what to do and what not to do are doing the right things. And, you know, the thing's just not running, you know, make, making too much soot. And, you know, there, there are little things that can go wrong that have knock-on effects that make it a whole lot worse. And, you know, daily we're learning more and more about it. You know, I, like I said, we did an EGR DPF maintenance and a Dorothy install on a truck and it, uh, just last week, and it went down the road and said another check engine light. So, you know, one of the sensors that we'd had off, I don't know if it's because we disturbed it or whatever, but, you know, we had to come back and do a little more work on it. But bit by bit and piece by piece, we were getting better and better at it. Uh, we've got a good understanding of the systems. And, again, the, the newer stuff, you know, i got to say 14 and up or 12 and up, it's pretty darn good. It really is. Now, his era, his 08, you know, we know more about it now, so we're better at fixing those earlier ones and, and making them a little bit better. Uh, you know, we, there's some work that we could do with that and make it more reliable for him. It's just just a better way to go. It, it just is. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, like I said, back when we were talking about that, we were just desperate. We were trying to do anything to help people keep these trucks on the road, keep them running. The breakdown rate was outrageous. Uh, and for an owner-operator, that was just killing people. Not only was it costing them a fortune to get them fixed, but it also meant a lot of downtime and lost revenue. 
So, you know, we did the best we could back then, but we're, we're well past that again. There are so many reasons not to do that. And the reason I, I bring this up and I, I wanted you to address it and we're talking about it is there are still lots of shops doing it. And, and now I'm saying, look, that, that is not the way to go. Uh, it's expensive. There are lots of shops doing it wrong, creating more problems than they're fixing. And then you mentioned you've got the issue of the factory shops won't touch that truck. And if the EPA ever, you know, gets wind of it, you've got real problems to deal with. Oh, our local Freightliner deal will, will tow it off the premises. Is that right? If a truck gets towed in there or comes in there, they will tow it off the premises. will go right outside their gate and be dropped, and you're stuck. Ah, so, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, or if they get into it and they find that it's been deleted, they, they, will, they will literally just stop where they are and, and tow it off the premises. Wow. So yeah. that's something you could have to deal with. It. You know, who knows when you're going to have a problem or where you're going to have a problem or, you know. It could be something as simple as your clutch. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know I mean, you go right. into a shop to get, you know. So it's it's just not worth it. I just don't see it being worth it. You know, the problem is, and again, it's not going to be like at all. There is going to be maintenance to do. You know, you're going to have to look at this stuff every quarter of a million or so is what we're recommending, and seems to be about the right number. And if you do that, it won't be a problem. No, you're not just going to hop in. It's not going to be completely invisible to you. There, there will be an issue here or there, but. I don't think it's worth, uh, you know, the aggravation of actually getting rid of it. All right. What do you say we get some phone calls? Let's go. All right. This was the other call. Here we go. We're going to go to Kentucky. And I found out the answer to this question, but I, you guys know this issue better than I do, so I'll let you answer it. Uh, John in Kentucky, go ahead. Uh, thank you. I was just calling back to see what your answers were. All right, so I'll, I'll kind of catch these guys up. I, I went and did the research on it, and I figured out where the confusion was coming in. Um, but I, I'll let you guys address this. So um, John and Ethan, I had a call over the weekend. It was John, and he, he was questioning uh, Fitzgerald. They, they give two options. One is the factory Detroit engine, or one is an engine that, that they build and I wasn't aware that they were doing that. I couldn't remember all the details. And somebody else sent me a message and said that the factory engine was a 16-to-1 compression and Fitzgerald was 15-to-1. Sounded totally backwards to me, but I didn't want to argue it because I didn't know at the time. Um, I went back and found out. But are you guys aware of the differences in what they're building? Oh, absolutely, yeah. It's- We've seen both out of there. I'm not sure if the the, the end user has uh, the ability to request which pistons go into the engine or if it's built to what they call either a, a PK or a BK spec. The PK is 15 to 1, I believe. I hope I don't have that backwards. And the BK is the 16 and a half. We did a lot of work on this. We uh, inadvertently... Um, we had a customer who had a, a glider, and he had a lot of white smoke when it was cold. He was from the north. And I'm not sure if Detroit changed uh, the nomenclature, the way they, they measure the uh, compression ratio of the piston, but I, I researched it. So we actually did CC. Uh, we, we measured up an engine. We put a sub- one of each piston in, and we measured the actual volume uh, of the swept and unswept area and did the math on it and came up with what the compression ratio was. So in order to get to 15 to 1, you need their 16 and a half piston. And they're, they're 15 to 1. It's down somewhere in the high 13s. 
And, you know, that's great for limiting knocks. And what we think happened was when Detroit went on their low knocks uh, kick, when they reprogrammed everybody's computers, and I think they modified their parts. I think they dropped the compression ratio. And so that's why lately there have been problems with the, the 15 to 1 engine. So if they're going to build you a 15 to 1 engine, unless you stay in the deep south, don't don't do it <laughs> just don't you'll uh you'll have white smoke and and grief that you just just won't believe if you're up north or if you ever go anywhere where it's cold yeah i'd always recommend the factory reman right um, the serial number will be different too it starts with an 06 re rather than the 06 r zero okay i didn't know that so you can always tell if it's a factory reman by the first four digits okay all right that solves my problem Factory reboot. Yeah, I mean, yeah. If you're if you're in the Southwest or in Texas, depending on where you run, if it never gets cold where you are, you're okay with the with the fifteen to one. But be careful, you know. Ask which compression ratio is in it, especially if you go anywhere cold. Okay, thank you. You're welcome. You know, you know, John and Ethan, the um, what they used to do, and I know when you guys were working with them more directly, and I was, was they had. The local Detroit shop built the basic engine for them right, right there on site. And then they were adding, on the gliders, they were adding the Pittsburgh Power Manifold, uh, the turbo, and the muffler, which I thought was just an excellent, um, you know, add-on. Now, it, it sounds to me like what I've been told is now it's either the full factory reman, no modifications, or if you want the manifold and some of the other parts you build their engine, and it, it just—I wasn't clear on exactly what they were doing in their build. Yeah, we've seen both. I, I think that uh, you know I can't speak to it. Uh, I think it might depend on the, the the cores that they have available or what they're what they're working with down there. They do so many now. A friend of mine had a tour of that uh, their facilities, not facility anymore, facilities. Yeah. And uh, was completely amazed. And he called it more of an engine building operation than a glider build. He said there's there's more energy dedicated to rebuilding engines wow. to supply okay. all the gliders that they're building than there is an actual building the gliders. I'll bet. So it's, yeah. it really is an engine operation. They've got a whole facility dedicated to to cores, to tear down and cleaning and prepping and, and everything at the cores. So so that's uh, that's all grown since you and Bruce were down there. I'll bet. From what I understand. Yeah. yeah. Here it's a really impressive facility. I hear it's. Uh, it's pretty amazing yeah i've heard that as well all right we're going to get to a break we're going to come right back get to more of your calls and questions right after this stick around i'm kevin rutherford Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. This is the Power Hour. Ethan and John are with me from Pittsburgh Power. We're going to go right back to the phones. We are off to Texas. Marvin, welcome to the program. 
Hey guys, uh, I have a, a 2017 uh, Peterbilt 579 with an MX13, and I think I'm burning a uh, coolant. So uh, this truck has been a nightmare. I picked it up in February. It's been in the shop like 25 days for various reasons. And so the last time I had it at, at my, uh, my my company, even though I'm a lease purchase guy, uh, you know, I said, hey, guys, I've had to put coolant in this thing. Can you check it out? So they call me and they say, hey, we, we pressure tested it. It's not leaking. What's the problem? I said, well, right now, I mean, you know, I dropped it off at just the right time. The light's on for low coolant, you know. And they said, oh, okay. And they really don't want to deal with it, especially since I'm buying the truck. So I get a phone call, your truck's ready. We found a small leak on the lower hose, which is total bullcrap as far as I'm concerned. I pre-trip it every day. I've never seen a wet spot or anything. So basically I'm wondering, uh, you know, I just can't afford to just stay in the Peterbilt dealers. I mean, every one little questions are becoming very expensive. You know, uh, what should I be looking for, pushing for? You know, what, what do I do in this case? How do I know for sure, you know, what's going on with it? What can I do? Hmm. How many miles are on it? Uh, I just went over 77,000. The first time I had to add about a half a gallon of coolant was about 20,000. And then again at about 40, 45,000, a little more. All total at 77,000 miles, I put about a gallon and a half of coolant in it so far. That's significant. Yeah, you should you should see that somewhere. Let's go on internal. Unless it's internal, yeah, you might have to. Uh, there are ways to test for combustion in the coolant. There, there are ways to you could sample the. Uh, there are chemicals that'll react if uh, with the with the coolant that'll tell you if you've got some combustion making its way there. I don't know if it's. Uh, yeah, there are a number of ways to test for that. I think that would be next because if you, if it's burning it, unless it's going through the intake somehow. There's a chance that there's also a little bit of uh, exhaust the other direction. So you should be able to to do that. Obviously, they check the obvious stuff like the uh, um, the, the EGR cooler. You know that's that's been tested and, and looked at. I, I you know all I know I know for sure they pressure tested it and they said they did that it did not have a leak. And then they called me back with the story about the lower hose. So um, I, I don't think that they did any other test. And it's one of those situations, you know, what you're telling me, I'm assuming, isn't something I should have to go tell them to do, right? They, they should know. To no. The, right. And it's 77,000 miles. Uh, the Packard's got a pretty awesome uh, major parts warranty up to half a million. Uh, so there's yeah. something you ought to be able to, uh, you know, if you blog that consumption, you should be, you know, able to do something. Uh, you know, yeah. at the dealer, talk, talk to, talk to Packar, but you should definitely well, be able to. Uh, yeah, yeah they ought to take care of that. I mean, even like a little minor, you know, clutch issue. I spent six days at a dealer, you know, stuck in the hotel and stuff. So I don't know. It's one of those things. What are you going to do? You know. So uh, are are you guys doing warranty work now for Packar at Pittsburgh? We are not. Uh, we you know, though we can work on them. We have access to uh, to the software and to their uh, uh, you know to, to a lot of stuff there. We cannot do warranty work, unfortunately. That's not okay. going to uh, not going to happen. Right. All right. Well, I'll keep digging. I sure appreciate it, guys. Thank you. Yeah, can you stay in touch with me if you would. Uh, I might be able to help you out. So so track that uh, coolant consumption closely. 
and I've got uh, I've got some uh, some friends at Packar I might be able to, to to help you out with. Okay, John, we, uh, you guys are doing the heavy lifting there, so I got sidetracked. Somebody was sending me an urgent message. Did we talk about oil sampling at all to see if we had coolant in the oil? We did not. We skipped right over that. Okay, so that, that's a good idea, though. Yeah, yeah. I, get an oil sample done, and let's see if we've got any coolant in the oil. Let's uh, let's head to California. Corbin, welcome to the program. Hi, guys. I had a question about a 2015 ISX on the diesel particulate filter. I've got 230,000 miles on it, so I'm coming up on the quarter million, kind of tear everything apart and clean it. But it's got a status gauge inside on the dash, and it's never moved. It's for the supposedly for the restriction. And I was wondering if you guys have run across that and if it's actually accurate or could be accurate. I've never actually seen one on the dash before. Um, I'm assuming the truck does an active regen when it... Uh-oh. Hold on. Yep, I got a beep in it. Yeah, Ethan, John, you guys there? Yep, we're here. Okay, go ahead. We got some weird beep here, and then you cut out, but we can hear you now. Oh, okay. I was making the the truck, as long as it's still doing its active regen there, I don't know the accuracy of that gauge. Um, It could just be something that the ECM is spitting out as a, you know, an estimate for it. Okay, yeah, it'll do an active every once in a while. Uh you know, you'll uh, hear the idle or see the idle on the tack come up just a little bit, and it'll have the hot exhaust light come on the dash. But yep, it's very yep. rare, and I pull the grapevine quite a bit, you know, probably four times a week going back and forth to L.A. So one of the mechanics I was talking to said it might still be pretty clean, but I'd rather not find out, uh, you know, going down the road that I'm going to have a problem. I'd rather pull it out and get it done right. Uh, the mechanic's probably right. Pulling the grapevine that often probably keeps it nice and clean. You're, you're making good exhaust temp, and that should be uh, should be staying pretty clean. Okay. Well, yeah, that's the, good news. The newer systems get much better as they get newer, because um, Cummins has had time to you know to learn from their mistakes. Um, all the OEMs have on that one, because you know at first they were rushed a little bit, and well, rushed rushed product gets rushed results. Right, and I don't want unlimited horsepower, so I'm just kind of keep it on there. <laughs> with, Not yet. With, yeah, who would want that? <laughs> yeah, with a six by two, it already been the tires. So. <laughs> okay, well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank thanks. You thanks for the call. Let's uh, let's head off to California. Joe, welcome to the program. Hi, I just wanted to make a comment on the previous show uh, about a caller saying that he, has, he used to use a T3 Rotella, and you guys made a comment that T4 was semi-synthetic. Uh, T4 is still mineral oil, it's still about 1540. T5, it's uh, semi-synthetic, and T6 is uh, the full synthetic. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, I... it's, yes, there's no more T3. It's, it got converted to T4. It's the new formula. You know oh, that thank you. that that yeah, happens. That's what I use. Uh, that, funny that happens in your thyroid too. Your thyroid converts T3 to T4. 
<laughs> Just thought I'd throw that in there. Um, you know, I I don't know what it, it, as as much as I do like Rotella, I do have to say that their whole T numbering scenario has gotten really confusing lately. Um, I, I don't even use the designations. I once we get through this transition, maybe it'll clear up again. But um, that seems probably correct. Um, that we now it's four, five, and six mineral blend and synthetic, but uh, it, they they've had a little uh, little confusion with their naming scenario there. So thanks for that, Joe. We're gonna head off to Indiana. Dave, welcome to the program. Hey guys, see, uh, I'm running this Schneider glider. Uh, had it in at, at uh, Pittsburgh Power back in February, uh, and I got an oil sample. And I almost feel embarrassed uh, compared to the other guy. I'm looking pretty good. I wonder <laughs> if we can go over that with me and tell me why why I got a little, this little bit of soot that I got. Um, and a little fuel illusion. You know, honestly, on a Series 60, I would call this a little more than a little. Um, clearly not. Okay. Clearly not what we were looking at on that N14, but. Um, just to give you some numbers here, John, pretty consistent. We had a sample uh, at 290,000 miles. That would be on the um, rebuild on the engine, I would imagine, and 20,000 on the oil. Right. We had 3.9 on fuel dilution, which is borderline true fuel dilution. Um, the soot was 2.7. That's really high on a Series 60. We like to see those at less than 0.1. Um, just this recent sample with 320,000 miles on the engine and 32,000 on the oil, or 30,000 on the oil, we're still at 3.9 on fuel dilution, um, and we're at 2.3 on soot. So we're going to get to a break. We'll come right back. We'll talk about those numbers right after this. Stick around. I'm Kevin Rutherford. back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. We're going to get right back to the phone calls. We were talking with Dave in Indiana. So, um, John, just to give you one more detail. Go ahead. 
I got a detail I had. I got a detail I had also. I just put on my OPS fifteen thousand miles ago. Okay. And uh, uh, and I'm idling less than I was on the previous sample, but the previous sample I also had put in uh, the um, Lucas injector cleaner, and and I, and I, and uh, I haven't put any since then. Okay. Okay. Uh, I, don't I don't know if that makes a difference or not with this. I don't think either one of those should really make much of a difference. John, here's really, we're looking at high soot and high oxidation, so I'm thinking blow-by. That's blow-by, yeah. Yeah, that's for where I'm going with that, too. This, how, was, how high was the fuel dilution? Uh, 3.9 both 3.9. times. You know, I, I, I... That's pretty good. That's pretty high, too. Yeah, the, the Do problem... Do we know if the injectors... The, let Do me just the the injectors on this truck? let me just add one you thing on the the fuel dilution, John. It, so when when we started seeing all the biodiesels and the new fuel blends, um, OPS the lab uh, Polaris upgraded their equipment to gas chromatography, so theirs is really really sensitive on fuel dilution. I've actually been saying that two on a Polaris sample is like zero used to be. So I, I would look at this as more okay. like about 1.9 in fuel dilution, and the viscosity on a 1540 is right at 13. So I don't think there's a, a lot of fuel dilution in there. I think there's some. Right. Yeah, you'd see that in the viscosity if it were right. an issue. No, that so I, that they, I heard you. I heard you talk about the numbers are kind of high with the new new blend oils, with the oxidation. So I didn't really pay attention to that. Um, well, what we see with the new blend oils is the base really dropping, and yours isn't. Your base is holding up oh, okay. beautifully, but when we see oxidation okay. and soot, that that really means we're exposing that oil over and over to the combustion gases, which is blow by. Okay. Okay, now what do we look at? <laughs> yeah. do, do you have any oil consumption? Uh, no, none. Barely, barely any. I mean, I, I got thirty thousand on this last oil change. I put in a gallon, but I also put in the o, the OPS filter, so that took you know that took a third of that gallon anyway. So, uh, yeah, right. twenty thousand before I was putting a gallon, and before I put the OPS on. And do you know if the uh, – well, we don't think the fuel dilution is an issue. I've seen some in, some Detroit injectors. A lot of people, even though the engine's rebuilt, they'll leave the injector in. Uh, everyone expects the injectors to go a million-plus nowadays, which makes zero sense to me. But uh, uh, they do. Um, we've seen some injectors that actually leak around the plunger. So we've pressurized some injectors on guys who've had high fuel dilution, and you get bubbles up around the uh, plunger. So – Keep them if the injectors are old, if they weren't replaced when the engine was rebuilt. A set of injectors might bring that under control, but it's not going to do anything for the soot. I don't think it'll help with that at all. Okay. <laughs> but what I would do is uh, I would run it. I would maybe think twice about the, doing extending the drains too, too long. Run the oil until uh-huh. that number gets to something you're not comfortable with, and then change it. I'd keep running it until you had a problem. Yeah, okay, because that's what I've been doing. And I... Yeah, yeah. There's nothing in this sample that would worry me. 
I, you're, we're not seeing any increased wear metals. The soot isn't. You know, at two, these oils, from what the engineers tell me, are designed to hold up to 5 and 6% soot and keep it separated so it doesn't create problems. I, I tend to disagree when we get to 5 or 6, it's going to create problems. But at, at where you are at 2, well, I, it, it's not hurting the engine. We just always look at it as, is there something we could be doing to improve it? Do we have you know, intake issues? Right. Do we have exhaust um, you know, something we could do to fix it. And, it. and if we've checked everything and there's nothing, I'm with John. Go ahead and run it. It's not hurting anything. Okay, great. Because I just put on my Pittsburgh power muffler. got the fleet air filter on there. Uh, I, when I when I had it in by the shop there at Pittsburgh, they had to, uh, uh, I had some pitting on the inside of the intake manifold, and they took care of that. Uh, I've since bought a new manifold. Just hadn't had time to put it on yet, the intake manifold. Um uh, you think just keep running or keep watching it, huh? Yeah, I keep running. Yeah, keep an yep. eye on it. Just uh, don't extend the drains past where you're you're not comfortable uh-huh. with that number. When that soot gets up to six, seven percent, like uh, Kevin said, uh, get get the oil out. It's going to be okay. So, uh, you know, it's going to be uh, over. It's going to okay. be a function of time. Yeah. Okay, because it did drop a couple of tenths. You know, since I put that OPS on there, it looks like. I mean, I don't know if that that, that would do anything or not. Uh, uh, listen, I had another. I had another comment or question too. Is is who, where would I find out the year uh, of this engine? H- how could I find that out? I've been, I called my dealer over here, and they, they can't give me any information off the serial number. I should be able to figure that out from serial number, right? Yeah, they should be able to. Call, call, call Ethan. Yeah. Call here. Ask for Ethan. He could look it up. All right? You could. You could. Okay. Out, can't you? I'll, I'll do that later. Great. You'll be able to. Yeah. Yeah, we should be able to. Figure, we should be able to get a data plate off of uh, Detroit with the engine. Okay, because it's supposed to be, you know, oh. it's a factory yeah, reman. You know, it's a factory reman. Like I said, it had. I bought it with two hundred fifty-one thousand on it. I got three hundred twenty-two thousand on it now, and 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 that concerns me. That soot because, well, because I buy any Kevin over there, that should be less than one one percent, right? <laughs> well, that's what we like to see. The uh, the pre-emission series 60s at because i ran them for years and that anytime mine crept up over that we'd usually find a reason and and as the engine got older and you got blow by it was you know more difficult to do that but you know at three hundred thousand miles um a healthy series 60 just won't show it but Keep running it. I mean, it, if it's running good, fuel economy is good. Um, there may not be anything wrong. Let's go to Georgia. Tad, welcome to the program. <laughs> the surgeons of the trucking industry. How are we doing today? <laughs> get, get, All right, Tad. Get, give me, you? give me uh, a. Before I, before I good. Before I get to it. Give me a scalpel and let me at it. That's right. Cause you know what, you guys, you guys are the best. That's all I care about. And I tell you what, anybody's problems, just put it on a rollback, go to Pittsburgh Power, and we won't have any problems anymore. So, anyway, my question, real quick, uh, to that previous caller, when he gets here, I went four hundred thousand on my first set of DPF filters, and my recommendation to him is, don't send them out to get clean because your downtime is three days. When for an extra three hundred dollars. You can get brand new ones and only be down one day. That's my recommendation for that gentleman. All right. You don't even need a calculator to do that, that math. That's I right. Guess, 
Well, the, 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 the newer trucks, you can go a long ways before you change the uh, first set of filters. They recommend 300,000, but I went almost 470 on mine, but that's me. Uh, number one, John, that oil, like I said, just banging oil. I mean, it's, uh, like I said, keeping the temperatures down. I'm running around 193, and during the pulls, my, it's only, my fan's only coming on a couple times, as what we talked about. But I do have some uh, good news. The regens have calmed down. Oh, really? Okay. I that have not. Now, I told you before, and I talked to Ethan, had him, his head scratching there. Uh, every 2,700, I now have gone 4,000 miles. I have no lights. We still got the one code. But it's running great, okay. and uh, fuel economy is still up above 9.8. And uh, I just wanted to give you update you on that. Um, they've calmed down, and I don't know if it's a uh, myth or whatever, but I quit putting an additive in, and it stopped. And whether it's all cleaned out now, I don't know. But I haven't hmm. put any additives in in two weeks, and my lights are gone, and, she, and now it's starting to go back to normal. Interesting. It just don't. They don't like the additives because I can go back. Huh. I went back over my records uh, before I came to you guys a year ago. I was doing additives, and that's when all my because my first four hundred fifty thousand miles, I only did two regens. I mean, a parts regen, and then when I started putting the additive in, is when my problems started. So my truck don't like additives. That's that's interesting. Tad, I just hope that whatever is wrong with your truck isn't what's right with your truck. So uh, <laughs> I don't know. If you follow I don't know. What I mean. So whatever that problem is, I hope this isn't why you're getting this crazy fuel mileage and stuff. And you know, I'm glad well, that the uh, I, I was sort of hoping that the regen thing was going to get worse so we could actually fix it. Uh, the problem well, we, with it is we, the reason it was asking quick, for so a, many. Yeah, go ahead. Just I go just want to we still got that code. But like I said, that code has been there since I took it to Freightliner a year and a half ago and had my filters put in. All right, let's hold that right there. We'll get to a break. We'll come back. We've got plenty more. Stick around. I'm Kevin Rothberg. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. This is the Power Hour. We're down in the final segment. We're going to get to as many calls as we can. We're going to head off to Pennsylvania. Adrian, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin. Um, I have one of the uh, uh, 2006 
15 uh, one of the uh, uncontrolled horsepower versions. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was just wondering if uh, it makes any sense for me to be looking at a, a new truck. I mean, this truck's been treating me well, and the um, biggest reason I'd be thinking about it is just to be able to go into California. I live in Washington, and there's a lot of, you know, that would make running out of Washington a whole lot easier. Um but uh, I don't know. I, I look at the numbers, and, and, and it, it seems like maybe if I got a little bit better fuel mileage in, like, 20 years, you know, it might pay for, the, pay for a new truck, you know. But uh, <laughs> I, 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 know, I know they're getting a whole lot more reliable, and that's really my, my absolute biggest concern is I can't be, you know, you don't make any money sitting on the side of the road. Yeah, it- Wondering your guys' thoughts on, on, you know, should I just keep running this even without being able to go to California, or well, you know, maybe maybe if I decide to look at getting a new one, you know. I, I'll jump in on that. It, it, this really, to me, is no longer a, a reliability issue or, or a cost issue with the emissions the way it used to be. Just like John said earlier. <laughs> Things have changed a lot. I, I, I'm very impressed with the new engines, with the new aerodynamics, with the new technology. So this isn't a, a reliability issue anymore. This is just a financial issue. You know, does it make financial sense to go buy a new truck? So I would set the maintenance reliability issue aside. What kind of fuel economy are you getting now? That's healthy fuel economy, and if you wanted to focus on it, we could probably get it to 8.2. I mean, that wouldn't be out of the question on the truck you've got if you if you wanted to invest some money into this one. And, you're, I mean, you might do nine out of some of the new trucks. It's certainly a lot more common than it used to be. Is this one paid for? Yeah, it's been paid for for a while. So... We're not going to make up the cost of the new truck in fuel economy alone. So if we just look at numbers and expenses, that's not going to be enough. Sometimes you look at it and go, well, yeah, I know it's going to cost me a little more, but I want a new truck. And then you go get one. The other issue, and this is a whole lot harder to measure, is you're correct being in Washington State, a lot of the good freight moves up and down the I-5 corridor. So being able to go to California if you live in Washington can add a significant amount of revenue. But that's so individual that I can't put a formula on it. That's something you would have to start looking at, you know, when you're choosing loads. And you'd have to start keeping track of, okay, I'm leaving Washington and I'm going to Texas and I'm getting a dollar eighty-four a mile. But if I wanted to go to Southern California, I'd be getting two twenty a mile. It, that that's really hard to put any kind of a formula on. Um, you know, if you had a, a really good business report and you were doing your accounting every month, it'd be a little easier. So th- this isn't one of those questions that's really easy to answer. So, But I would set the maintenance aside. If that was your biggest concern, I wouldn't worry about it. I mean, the, you, you spec one of these new trucks, and they're pretty darn impressive. So it really comes down to, do you want the payment? Right, right. Yeah, I'm, 
mean, I got 900, you know, almost a million miles on it. So I'm, it's kind of like, do I want to use my in-parade money for a down payment or do I want to just buy, you know, just do an in-parade, you know? Right. Especially if I put, start putting more money into this truck, that would keep me out of California for that much longer, you know? They ain't changing that anytime soon. So, yeah, and that is probably the biggest issue is not being able to go to California. Uh, I mean, even even getting a load to, like, Las Vegas or, or Reno or something like that, to, to get out of there, you know, getting any kind of rate, you really need to pop over to California. So. No, it, clearly right, that, well, yeah. Sure yeah, you know, people well, that, that live that million in... million-mile truck's oh, going to be... But that million mile truck's going to be other maintenance as well. And unless you really, really took care of it, there are other things you're, you know, you're, you're going to be looking at rear ends at some point. I don't know how the transmission might be. There, there's a lot of other stuff involved. You know, to me, if it served you that well for a million miles, uh, I would probably take that money that you've banked, uh, and uh, I'd go the new truck route personally. And to ignore California to me is insane. I mean, it's the third largest economy in the world if you separated it from the rest of the United States. So <laughs> to walk away from that is just, you know, to me, silly. I don't think that makes any sense at all. Um, you know, and I was just going to address that. There are a lot of times if I'm talking to an owner-operator, you know, certainly east of the Mississippi, you can ignore California. Uh, you don't need to go. The rates going in and out of California just aren't that much better, and there's plenty of freight all over. That changes, though, if you're Washington and Oregon especially. You know, even out west, you can live in Colorado and run east all the time and make a ton of money. But living in Washington and Oregon, a lot of that freight does travel up and down that I-5 corridor. So if you live in those two states Mm -hmm. and, you know, California, being able to run California opens up a lot of opportunities. Absolutely. Yep. And again, I'm, you know, I'm a fan, you know, the the new, I'm really, really the, the new Detroit, you know, the new DD 15 and the numbers these guys are knocking down, you know, fuel mileage wise, that pays for itself in a hurry. I mean, you get a new, new Cascadia with all the cool aero stuff on it and the right gear and that new D12 transmission. And you got nine and a half mile, mile per gallon machine without trying. So it's, uh, you know, to me, that's, uh, that's pretty good, you know, so that would pay for itself in a hurry, especially you know, if you look at the whole truck, Kevin, it's not just the engine. So the guy's got some money saved up for an engine rebuild. You know, he's going to dump 25 to 30 grand into that, or, you know, he's got a really nice down payment on, on the, uh, on the new truck. Yeah, no, I, I agree. So, you know, there, we could sit here and do a, you know, the long, and that's kind of why I said if you had a business report, we could look at where his maintenance costs are, where his fuel costs are, where his revenue is. But it, it's really, it's a math issue now. That's why I wanted to kind of steer him away from the, you know, the reliability of the new truck, because I'm with you, and it took me a decade. I mean, 10 years I was saying, don't go near them, don't buy a new truck, I, I build a glider if you want something new. Um, but that whole time, I was also saying, there will come a day when I won't have to say this anymore. We went through it with cars in the 70s, and, and we got through it. And cars today are amazing pieces of, of engineering marvel to me. Um, I, yeah, I, I am I, I'm blown away by the quality of cars today and how trouble-free they are and, and the performance and, and really every way we could measure them. 
And I knew that at some point we would get there with trucks. And we're not all the way there yet, like you said early. But I, I'm impressed. If I were going, I would be excited to go out and spec a new truck today. Yeah, me too. I, I agree. Yeah. Let's, uh, can we get one more in here? Let's try this one. Brad in Florida, you got about a minute and a half. Hey, Kevin, how are you doing? Good. What can we help you with? Well, I have a uh, DD15 2011, one of those trucks you say stay away from. Diesel said that the one box is toast. I'm not 100% convinced of that, but going an ox conversion code over and over and over, can't get it to go away. Any suggestions? It's just strictly the NOx conversion code. Um, has the NOx sensor been been checked and tested? Do we know we've got good flow from the uh, the DEF doser? I yeah. mean, they gone gone through all the the whole troubleshooting tree to make sure everything's working correctly. Yeah, and then as soon as I and it'll say that it's working at eighty percent, and as soon as I put the truck underneath the load and go up the hill, comes right back. Code's there in the D rate too. There's a good chance it is the one yep. box, then. The, uh, the the only thing you could replace the one box are the DPF filters, and they're inexpensive and easy. There's two of them that go in there, and you know, they, which is kind of neat that they use two rather than one like everybody else. But if the uh, the SCR, the actual, there's a catalytic converter. SCR is a combination of the the DEF, the injected DEF that goes through a uh, mixer, and then it goes into a catalytic converter, and when that stops converting, uh, it's covered in precious metals, and you know if you've gone a little time with, uh, you know, if you've had another issue that could lead to that going bad, if the the def doser wasn't atomizing properly or something like that, you could end up with that thing clogged up. But uh, or the you know the precious metals are coated now, it doesn't react like it should to to to, knock, to, to lower the knock. So that's a definite. Uh, you, know, you can't just change that part. So when when the when the, the catalyst converter goes bad. You, and with if that, got sorry, hate to cut you off, John, but we've got to wrap this up. We are all out of time. We'll do it again next week. Thanks for joining us. Thanks to John and Ethan from Pittsburgh Power for doing all the heavy lifting. We'll see you next time. Be safe. Be profitable. Be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey. I'm Kevin Rutherford.